Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. U.S. Supreme Court justices told us in a written opinion almost over a decade ago, if you have the death penalty, you will execute innocent people because the criminal justice system makes mistakes. Oops, says an attorney for the Innocence Project of Florida. And on this episode of Full Rigor, I'm going to look into the possibility that there is a man on Florida's death row who is about to be executed who may be innocent. The only evidence against 74-year-old James Daly is the lies from a jailhouse snitch who sort of recanted right before he died. This is an example of where one person gets the death penalty and it's not always the actual killer, and another gets life because he or she cooperates or lies. So, since his 1987 conviction, James Daly, a 74-year-old Vietnam veteran, has maintained his innocence. Daly's legal team said that there is no evidence, no eyewitness, physical, or forensic evidence to tie Daly to a 14-year-old girl's killing. The prosecutors relied on the word of a jailhouse informant to win a conviction. His name was Paul Skalnik. Skalnik is a storied con man with a long rap sheet. Actually, he started out as a police officer, then he got arrested for writing a bunch of bad checks, and then it went downhill from there. He served as a witness in 35 different cases, helping send dozens of people to prison, three people to death row, including Daly. Now, during Daly's trial, his current legal team said that Skalnik lied on the witness stand when cross-examined about his past criminal history and then lied when he claimed that Daly had confessed to him that he committed this heinous crime that put him on death row. Now, ABC News recently tracked down Skalnik in a nursing home in Corsicana, Texas in January. He agreed that he helped put Daly on death row. And when he was asked if he lied on the stand, as Daly has alleged, Skalnik simply said, quote, there's a time and a place to talk. And did he have any regrets? He said no, not to his knowledge. So criminal defense attorney Ken Belkin breaks down the case. There is no direct evidence linking into the case, meaning there's no eyewitnesses, there's no confession, there's no DNA, there's no surveillance footage. There's nothing other than this informant, this jailhouse snitch that says he confessed to him. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with anyone sitting on death row who is there only because someone said they did it. An eyewitness or a jailhouse informant, especially a jailhouse informant. I mean, what's up with jailhouse snitches? There's a problem with this jailhouse informant system that we have in place. It has been said that it is one of the leading causes of exoneration of death penalty cases. And it's a practice that prosecutors' offices across the country are reviewing. State legislatures are reviewing. States like Texas and Illinois, they've passed laws that curtail the process or limit it to some extent. But as of right now, it is a commonly used practice. And by the way, Skelnick died two months after speaking with ABC News. Let's just take a look at some of the numbers behind executions, especially here in Florida. We've had 30 exonerations of Florida death row prisoners due to evidence of wrongful conviction. That's the highest in the nation. 99 Floridians have been put to death since executions were restarted in 1979. Most of those were during Governor Rick Scott's reign. There's a shocking error rate for every three people executed in Florida. One innocent person on death row has been exonerated and released. 
that's a really bad record, especially when you're dealing with someone's life. Let me just outline how Florida compares with other death penalty states. This was back in 2019. We're number one in the number of people exonerated off death row since 1973. Number one in the number of new death sentences. Number two in the size of our death row with 340 inmates currently sitting on death row. Number five in the number of executions. This is all from the Death Penalty Information Center. For more on Florida's death row, you can also check out my episode number nine from Old Sparky to the Spike. I explain how state-sanctioned murder has evolved in the Sunshine State from Old Sparky the electric chair to lethal injection and perhaps an even more pleasant way to go. The episode also explores the pros and cons of the death penalty. But that's not what we're here for today. We're just basically here to examine whether or not One individual should be sitting on Florida's death row, and his name is James Daly. So what happened to the victim? Her name was Shelly, Shelly Boggio. On May 5th, 1985, Shelly and her twin sister were with a friend near St. Petersburg, Florida, and they were picked up by James Daly, who was 38 at the time, and his housemate, Jack Percy, and another person named Oza Dwayne Shaw, Percy's friend from Kansas, who was also 28. Percy was 29. Now, Daly says that they drove back to their place and smoked some dope and drank some beer. Then, after that, Daly said that he, Percy, and Shelly, Shelly's sister and their friend, Gail Bailey, Percy's pregnant girlfriend at the time, got back in the car. And Daly said they dropped Shelly's sister and her friend off. And then, the four that remained went to a local bar. Keep in mind that Shelly Elizabeth Boggio was 14 years old at the time. Now, Shaw said that he did not go to the bar and stayed behind at the house. When Percy said he wasn't going out again to drop Shelly off at home, Shaw told police in the 1985 interview that he asked him for a ride to a payphone to call his girlfriend, which Percy agreed to do. Daly insists he did not go with them. He said he went to his bedroom, went to sleep. While he was at the payphone, Shaw told police Percy and Shelly were waiting in the car, and after a bit, he told authorities Percy and Shelly got impatient and were honking the horn. So he told them to leave without him. And apparently the appellate attorney says that they have phone records confirmed that this call was placed at 1.15 a.m. The medical examiner would later determine that Shelley was murdered sometime between 1.30 and 3.30 in the morning. So after hanging up with his girlfriend, Shaw told authorities that he walked back to the house. And in a 1985 police interview, the detective asked Shaw, where was Jimmy Daly at this time when you came back from making your phone call? He said he wasn't in the living room, but he thinks he was in bed. He wasn't sure. Shaw told detectives that Percy returned to the house hours later around 4 a.m. And Daly said that Percy then came into his room and woke him up and told him he had a couple of joints and let's go smoke them. And they grabbed a six pack of beer out of the fridge. Daly said he got out of bed and he and Percy drove out to the Bel Air Causeway, a bridge near St. Petersburg. He said that Percy threw a Frisbee around by the waterside there. The Frisbee went into the water and got his pants wet when he fished it out. He said then after a while, the two men returned home. The next morning, the bridge tender finds Shelley's body mutilated and she's naked and dead. 
Shelley's body was found floating in the waters of the Intracoastal Waterway near Indian Rocks Beach Drawbridge. She had been stabbed more than 30 times. Authorities said she fought back and had a number of defensive wounds. She had been choked, stabbed more than 30 times. Her head was held underwater until she drowned. Her body was found, as I said, at Indian Rocks Beach. Now, she had been drinking at the bar with the two men, and Percy's knife was found near her mutilated body. So at the time of the murder, Jack Percy, Daly's housemate, was identified as the suspect in the case, and then he pinned the blame on Daly, confessing that he stabbed the girl at least once, but it was Daly who was the one who killed her. The two men committed the crime, but only one is sitting on death row, Daly, who is now in his late 70s. Or did he commit the crime? Well, Jack Percy has muddied the waters. He has signed two affidavits stating that he acted alone. Remember, he received life in prison. So is this new evidence? That confession is what us defense attorneys would call newly discovered evidence, and that is grounds for an appeal. So I really think Governor DeSantis should take that into account and issue, you know, prolong this execution. Let the appeal run its course. Well, yeah, the governor seems reluctant to look at it. He's been quoted as saying this case has been litigated and litigated. It's time for justice to be served. Well, I don't know about him, but justice doesn't mean having an innocent man's blood on your hands. So Jack Percy signed not one but two declarations saying that he acted alone in the death of 14-year-old Shelley Boggio. And here's what the declaration stated. Quote, James Daly had nothing to do with the murder of Shelley Boggio. The declaration said, I committed the crime alone. James Daly was back at the house when I drove Shelley Boggio to the place where I ultimately killed her. It's one thing to sign those affidavits. It's another thing to give this testimony in open court. And in March of this year, Jack Percy was called to testify in open court, but attorneys could not get him to admit that he acted alone. So... The judge gave it a shot. Ms. Pierce, do you mind if I ask you a question? Go ahead, sir. You've given basically two different stories. One story you tell you were in the car with Mr. Daly. The other story you tell you would attempt to exonerate him and you've given sworn testimony to that or sworn statement of that three times. You understand? Is it two or three? They two different times they brought me uh, statements that I signed them. Okay. Two or three. It doesn't matter, I guess. You understand that in the future that's not going to work. We're not going to be we're not going to be doing that anymore. I I brought you here so that you could tell your story, and I've made sure that everybody's treated you with respect the whole time. I want you to know that we're not going to be doing this again. So today's your last day to do this. Your mom's here in court. She wants you to hear hear you to tell the truth, and this is your chance. Why can't we just get another two hours of your time here of testimony and we'll all be done with this and we can go our separate ways? Can we Can we do that? No, sir. Nothing I can do or say to change your mind? No, sir. All right, Mr. Pierce, you can go. So off he went, and his mom even told the judge, look, just ask him to tell the truth. He has told the truth. Now, and I understand what he's done in this situation. I understand that. He should should have stuck with it in the first place and and denied it, you know, but he didn't. Okay. What we're trying to figure out today is, how can I make your son most comfortable coming in and speaking to us under oath? Because 
We've never gotten him to uh, give full testimony under oath, so that's what we're going for today. I'm asking to tell you the truth as he would tell it to his mother. I was planning on <laughs> mentioning his mother in my uh, little presentation that I've worked up, but, so and I'm glad you're supportive of that. That's fine, and uh, he was supportive of us being here. We're supportive of him. Uh, yes, this whole thing was wrong. There's been a lot of grief in both directions. So Percy refused to testify at that hearing. He said, actually, he said he was innocent, and he's made conflicting statements over the years. Another reason that you can't kill this guy on death row. I mean, 35 years later, the Emmy is dead in the case. So are most of the other attorneys involved. They've either passed away or they've retired. So Jack Percy said, quote, I've done 35 years for a crime I didn't commit, and I don't plan on testifying against anybody else to help the state kill them, and that would be all that my testimony could basically do. So I have nothing to say, Percy said at the hearing. So in May of 2020, Pinellas Pasco Circuit Judge Pat Syracuse issued an order saying that there's no new evidence to grant Daly a new trial. By the way, the snitch, Skalnik, who's now dead, he got out of prison five days after he told the jury convincingly that Daly told him through the bars as he was walking by that he had choked and stabbed Shelley and then threw the knife away. And the jury believed him. Now, after an execution, a medical examiner enters the manner of death on the inmate's death certificate as homicide. So it's basically state-sanctioned murder. Don't you think you should get it right? I mean, you've got no DNA in this case, no fingerprints. Okay, his pants were wet, so Daly says they were wet because when Percy came back after he killed Shelley, he said, look, I've got some joints, let's go smoke them, and they played Frisbee, and that's how his pants got wet. And apparently Daly told his attorney, I want to testify and explain why my pants were wet. But his attorney wouldn't let him take the stand. Actually, when you put a defendant on the stand, it's, it's like a last-ditch effort. So Daly had served four tours in the Air Force in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. His background alone seemed to make him a pretty upstanding citizen, not a murderer. He and Percy were arrested and indicted on first-degree murder charges. And at the time, Percy told authorities that Daly killed Shelley and that he was sleeping in the car when the murder took place. Daly maintained that he never saw Shelley again after she, Percy, and Shaw left to go to the payphone. Now, both Shaw and Percy told detectives in 1985 interviews that Daly's pants were wet when he and Percy returned home the morning of May 6th. The two men were tried separately, with Percy going first in 86. The jury convicted him quickly, but recommended life instead of death for him. The following summer, Daly's case went to trial. And the state's theory was that Jack, Jim Daly, and Shelley left, and that they drove around, and then they went to the waterside. But there is no evidence to tie Daly to the killing, adding that Daly didn't have a history of violence against women and he didn't have a motive. So at the time, Skelnick was in jail on a pending charge for grand theft, and he testified that Daly confessed to him that the young girl kept staring at him, screaming, and would not die. He said that he stabbed her and threw the knife away. And when asked about his reaction to Skelnick's testimony, Daly said, well, other than disbelief, other than trying to tell my attorney that never happened, it was sickening. Daly said that he didn't kill Shelley and never confessed to Skelnick or anybody else. Absolutely not. So who are you going to believe? He 
said everyone in the jail knew Skelnick was a snitch. He maintains that weeks before the trial, he was moved to the same wing of the Pinellas County Jail as Skelnick. Skelnick, Daly says, was in a single cell, and that was in a pod of about 16 prisoners. And according to Paul Skelnick, he was walking down the hallway and Daly shouted at him through his double layer of bars, Oh, hey, let me talk to you, he said. So according to Skelnick, they talk, and Daly said, I'd have to yell my confession to him, and there's always guys sitting at the table right there playing cards. There would have been other witnesses if he had done that. So the jury was told by both the prosecution and Skelnick that he was not promised anything or given a deal in exchange for his testimony against Daly. So the jury never heard Daly's explanation as to why his pants were wet because he never took the stand, though Daly said he wanted to testify. He said, I wanted to get up and tell what really happened, he said. I don't know why my attorney at the trial said that he didn't want me to testify because he couldn't believe that we played Frisbee. But because Daly never testified, Martin, a juror in the case, said that Skalnick's testimony was the only information the jury had that supposedly came from Daly. So the snitch's testimony was the only way the jury could actually hear James Daly's voice. And he said it was very interesting listening to the snitches as a juror. Daly was convicted again of first-degree murder, sentenced to death in 87. He said that he went out, sat on a bench, and there was a mental health expert sitting there as well, and he began to cry. And the mental health expert said, what's wrong? And, of course, Daly said, a jury has just convicted me of a capital crime that I didn't commit, and now I'm going to be sent to death row. Can you imagine? So, like I said, five days after Daly is sentenced to death, Skelnick is released from jail due to his cooperation in the first-degree murder trial where he was witness, according to the Internal Florida Parole Commission. And apparently, he was released from jail without having to post bail on a pending grand theft charge. And then, he skipped town. But Skelnick was convicted in 1993 of sexual assault on a child and sentenced to 10 years in a Texas prison. When asked if he wanted to see Daly put to death, he said, There are times and moments, yes. Skelnick died two months after the interview. Robert Heyman, one of the prosecutors at Daly's trial, said the state was aware that Skelnick was a professional con man when he testified against Daly. But he said, you know, we vetted him, and I know that he's been under attack as a professional snitch. We checked him out. Heyman maintains that justice has been served in Daly's case. He says, I think it's an appropriate sentence under the law of the state of Florida. And he said, do you know how many times this has been reviewed by the courts, both in the state and federal courts, and they seem to have been satisfied so far? Once a jury makes a decision, it's really hard to get a reversal. A jury decision is like gold. Maybe you have DNA. Maybe you have someone that says they did it after the fact. Hey, that guy in death row, he's innocent. I did it. A jury's decision is a jury's decision. And in this case, there really isn't any overwhelming evidence that would change it because you've got Percy not willing to testify, even though he signed the two declarations. And now at any moment, the governor of Florida could sign a death warrant for Daly. And he says to that, I am not afraid to die. What I am afraid of is spending the rest of my life in prison for a crime I didn't commit, not being able to clear my name for my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. So I guess what he's saying there is he'd rather be put to death than sit in prison for the rest of his life for a crime that he didn't commit. Because what's the option? The option, there's not enough evidence to give him a new trial. He could have his sentence commuted to life in prison, but he says he wouldn't want that anyway. So what do you think? 
I mean, if you look from 30,000 feet at this case, his pants are wet. They're roommates. They were seen returning from the lake early in the morning after smoking pot, and they were seen at the bar drinking with Shelly. Do you really think he went to bed and then Percy came back, woke him up, and went out again? It sounds a little implausible to me. But we'll never know. How will we ever know? And I certainly don't think they should execute him because we just, it's not definitive. It's not like we've got DNA. In other Florida true crime news, the search for more victims of a serial killer continues at a home in Florida. Deputies are among those in Spring Hill searching the home of Billy Mansfield on Centerwood Avenue. Human remains were found in the yard this week. Investigators believe the remains belong to women Mansfield, his brother, and their father sexually assaulted in the late 1970s before Billy killed, dismembered, and buried them. So Mansfield is currently serving four life sentences in California. The remains were discovered after Mansfield's brother was arrested at the home on drug charges. Wow. They started digging and they found body parts. Also, speaking of body parts, a skull that had been sitting on a Tennessee fireplace mantle since last year has been identified as belonging to a man who went missing back in 2012. After receiving a tip, the Morgan County Sheriff's Office took custody of the skull, which they noted was wearing sunglasses. The district attorney posted on Facebook Monday, the skull is that of Junior Will McCann, believed to have been killed by a relative who has since passed away. I mean, you had a human skull on your fireplace mantle. And I want to leave you now. We have Halloween that just passed, so this is kind of like a... Post Halloween ditty for you. Remember the guy, Jim Stafford? He used to have a show. This was back in the 70s. He had the song, I Don't Like Spiders or Snakes, and he used to sing a song called Monkey Butts and Coconuts. Well, anyway, he also had a hit called Swamp Witch, and it was really about a witch named Hattie who lived in a Nokachoba town right here in Florida. And I want to leave you with my rendition of Swamp Witch. Blackwater Hattie lived back in the swamp where the strange green reptiles crawl. Snakes hang thick from the cypress trees like sausage on a smokehouse wall. Where the swamp is alive with a thousand eyes and all of them watching you. Stay off the track of Hattie Shack in the back of the black bayou. Way up the road from Hattie Shack lies a sleeping little Okeechobee town. Talk of a swamp witch had it lock you in when the sun go down. Rumors of what she done, rumors of what she do, kept folks off the track of Hattie Shack in the back of the black bayou. One day brought the rain and the rain stayed on and the swamp water overflowed. Skeeters and the fever grabbed the town like a fist. Doc Jackson was the first to go. Some say the plague was brought by Hattie. There was talk of a hanging too. But the talk got shackled by the howls and the cackles from the boughs of the black bayou. Early one morn, between dark and dawn, when shadows filled the sky, there came an unseen caller on a town where hope run dry. In the square there was found a big black round vat full of gurgling brew. Whispering sounds as the folks gathered round, it came from the black bayou. There ain't much pride when you're trapped inside a slowly sinking ship. Scooped up the liquid deep and green and the whole town took a sip. Fever went away and the very next day the skies again were blue. 
Let's thank old Hattie for saving our town. We'll fetch her from the Black Bayou. Party of ten of the town's best men headed for Hattie's shack. Said Swamp Witch Magic was useful and good and they're gonna bring Hattie back. Never found Hattie. Never found the shack. Never made a trip back in. There was a parchment note they found tacked to a stump said, Don't come looking again. So that wraps up Full Rigor. Thanks for joining me. Check me out on Instagram, Full Rigor Podcast. Until next week. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.